Please remember, conversations during EY podcasts should not be relied upon as accounting, tax, legal investment, nor other professional advice. Listeners must consult their own advisors. The biggest contributor to child labor is the agricultural industry because you can't send your kid to school if that kid is hungry. So when we talk about introducing mechanization, we're not just talking about some cool new app. We're talking about technologies that we take for granted that literally can provide the space for a kid to have the food that they need and the time available to go to school and open up all sorts of new innovations that these young people can now, through education, have access to. Truth is, humanity can save itself and our planet. And right at this very moment, there's someone who's taken on this challenge and is on a path to solving an incredibly tough global problem. This podcast was created to tell you about them. You're listening to Better Heroes, a show from the global EY organization about the untold stories of entrepreneurs devoting their lives to impactful innovation. And I'm your host, Matt C. Smith. Many entrepreneurs start their ventures because they don't feel satisfied in their current roles. Maybe they don't feel challenged enough. Maybe they feel underappreciated. Well, like our next guest, they crave purpose. Jahil Oliver is the founder and CEO of Halo Tractor. This app helps marginalized farmers in sub-Saharan Africa access tractors. And if it's not immediately clear how big of an impact Halo Tractor is having, don't worry. This passionate entrepreneur is certainly eager to tell you all. Jahil saw that tractors do way more than increase revenue for smallholder farmers. They improve education, decrease child labor, and increase food security. Jahil recognized all of this and dove straight in. That is the definition of the entrepreneurial spirit and of a better hero. So I started my career in investment banking, and I worked in real estate investment banking for five years. And so leading up to the financial crisis, I really had my own personal career crisis where I was <laughs> thinking about more interesting ways to apply my time and really fell in love with the microfinance industry and this movement to use uh, commercial finance, but in interesting ways to reach the base of the pyramid, low-income populations. Yeah, I've come across microfinance too, but give us a broader definition of what microfinance actually is. Microfinance are tiny loans to support low-income individuals in both income smoothing. So like how we use credit cards, people who don't have access to those products can access microloans. And then for small business owners, think about, you know, a woman who owns a small shop who needs a $200 loan to buy toilet paper in bulk to then resell it in individual roles, right? Um, these are the type of businesses that uh, microfinance supports. While working in the finance sector in the U.S., Jahil felt himself being pushed in another direction. So he developed his knowledge of microfinancing to help low-income populations, and then he was off. I was working in the U.S. as a banker, 
But then I was volunteering doing deal structuring work globally for microfinance institutions looking to raise capital and also mm-hmm. investment funds who are looking to deploy capital into these banks, but on a pro bono basis, not being paid for. And I got the opportunity to, to do some work full time that coincided with the financial crisis. And that was just the push that I needed to quit that job and take on that this new role full time. And I started consulting. I remember my two week notice was, you know, I'm stressed out at this job. I don't like it anymore. I'm leaving. I'm going to Afghanistan for my, my first project in microfinance. And I did that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it was it, that stint of my career was an interesting adventure. But what I quickly realized is that microfinance institutions don't often lend in agriculture because of the risks. What are the risks? Um, so you got what they call covariate risks, uh, which are systemic risks in, um, in economics. You have like pests, like desert locusts, which mm-hmm. we just got impacted by here in East Africa. Literally billions of locusts uh, covering an area the size of three New York cities wow. converging on these locations and eating the equivalent of what 80 million people eat every single day. Wow. Then you also have things like climate risk, which is becoming a bigger challenge. You have flooding, drought. And the reason they call them systemic risks is because if you're a bank working in Kenya, you would have have confronted droughts, which we're going through right now, and a year prior to that, desert locusts, which probably would have ruined 50 to 70% of your portfolio, right? Mm. Banks don't like that type of risk. It's difficult to diversify. It's difficult to underwrite. And they're no longer edge case risk. With, with climate change, these things are happening more frequently. And that's just a couple of the many, many risks that do exist in agriculture. And so I thought there has to be a way to provide these farmers with commercial solutions to meet their needs while circumventing a lot of the risks that I was observing in the industry that was scaring away these microfinance institutions. And it was that kind of thought journey that ultimately led to to Hello Tractor. Mm. Uh, And what's interesting about tractors and mechanization is farmers pay for that service upfront. Before the season even begins, they need to have a tractor in the field to get their crop established. Uh, Just interject. So we've heard the word digitalization, right? You know, that's obviously appifying or platformifying uh, some various service or tool, right? But uh, mechanization, I mean, I grew up with this digitalization, globalization, uh, urbanization, gentrification, but mechanization is actually a boomer term, right? Because that's talking about providing machinery and that kind of, you know, um, mechanical revolution that happened. Wait a minute. Are you suggesting that I'm a baby boomer? Not at all. This interview is (laughs) over. (laughs) Not at all. But I'm curious because I, you know, the mechanization in farming, you know, you're saying you're going from plowing fields to tractor pulling of large areas, right? That's sort of what you mean by mechanization of those processes, correct? Yeah. Mechanization is effectively displacement of manual labor and or animal labor Mm. with machines, tractors, combine harvesters, any form of machinery uh, doing what humans either can't do or don't do very well. Mm. And so what you're seeing in Africa is a demographic shifts like rapid urbanization, aging farm populations, there's not enough labor to do the work, right? And so you need equipment 
to fill that power gap that exists. And that's what I refer to as mechanization. Mm. Um, and I don't think that's a baby, <laughs> a baby boomer term, but it could be. <laughs> I'm only joking with Jahil about using a baby boomer term like mechanization. It indeed predates baby boomers. The time of mechanization was during the Industrial Revolution, which began in the 1940s. Jahil describes how Africa is currently going through their own industrial revolution, but in agriculture. Could we call it an agricultural revolution? I think so. The world is very cyclical. History repeats itself. If you look at pre-industrial revolution in the United States, we had labor shortages. We supplemented that with forced labor. That was displaced by the cotton gin and other forms of mechanization. We mm. moved on to the Industrial Revolution. We had this mass migration of individuals leaving the farm, similar to what we're seeing in Sub-Saharan Africa right now, going into the cities. That would be the Detroits, the Clevelands, where I'm from, mm. uh, the Pittsburghs, and, and New York City, and these mega cities that formed around mass production, Right. And then you saw the assembly line. That was an innovation both in business process and mechanization that brought more efficiency. And that, that increase in efficiency displaced things like child labor. Providing the proper tools to farmers improves their quality of life and in turn, the lives of their families and communities. Jahil says simply that providing better equipment can get kids out of the fields and back into schools. What do you see in the developing world today? Agriculture is the economic engine in many of these economies. The biggest contributor to child labor is the agricultural industry because you can't send your kid to school if that kid is hungry, all right? So when we talk about introducing mechanization, we're not just talking about some cool new app. Mm. We're talking about technologies that we take for granted that literally can provide the space for a kid to have the food that they need and the time available to go to school and open up all sorts of new innovations that these young people can now, through education, have access to. Mm. But I think it's a valid point because, like you mentioned as well, you know, child labor in the agricultural space is easy because obviously if you live in a rural setting, you know, it's almost just seen as help mm -hmm. to help the family, support the family, right? You know, yeah. smallholder farmers are an enormous subset across sub-Saharan Africa, right? So, and that's sort of your target audience. So yeah. I was curious, you know, when I'm speaking to entrepreneurs, you have entrepreneurs who have a passion uh, and they, you know, which is basically how it makes you feel. What do I live for? And other entrepreneurs that build that passion through their purpose, the purpose being how it makes others feel, you know, what do I stand for? So how did you go from your background in the US, you know, sort of seeing this purpose, getting involved in the Afghanistan projects of microfinance? Yeah. How did that evolve to your interest in agriculture on yeah. the continent and specifically Kenya? I would say for me, the journey is much more personal. I have genuine delight in enabling the dignity of work. I come from a community where low income, certainly not anything like what we see in mm. the, some of the markets that we work within, but relative to other income levels within the U.S., certainly it was viewed as a community on the margins. And the way people engaged in those communities, it was all about what social services, what handouts can we give? And 
I mean, to be honest, I, will, I've, I grew up around some of the, the strongest entrepreneurs that I've ever engaged with, some of the most brilliant thinkers that I've ever had the opportunity to have close relationships with. They didn't have opportunities, right? They didn't have access to finance to capitalize that idea, right? And to me, that was the real injustice. And so taking that same passion for seeing others unlock that, that value and make these meaningful contributions to this global community that we're all a part of is inspiring for me. It's a, it's a very selfish motivation. I genuinely enjoy it. <laughs> uh, when I see people with the opportunity to access machinery to maximize their productivity and income and have that machine owner earn more income by delivering that service, that symbiotic relationship play out, mm. it just makes me happy. I love seeing that and I'll continue to enjoy that. Because <laughs> that's the value prop there, right? You know, kind of hit a nail on the head there. So yeah. what was sort of the first problem you tackled when you came to sort of look at this, yeah. this problem statement of supporting agriculture and supporting smallholder farmers? So once you plant, that's when all, you're exposed to all the risks. Mm. So if your business is reliant upon the outcome of a season, you're exposed to these same risks that we just covered, right? Mm. My thesis was that be at the pre-production level and identify the types of interventions that can be introduced at the pre-production level to have outsized impact and focus there. The other benefit to tractors is that they're mobile assets. So if I have a part of Kenya that's facing a drought those growers aren't going to produce that year, I can redirect those tractors to Western Kenya where it might be incredibly wet and ready for a strong season, mm -hmm. right? And it's that rebalancing in real time that also helps to mitigate some of the risks that we covered. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we kind of landed at mechanization, the mobility factor, and also the piece around pre-production, which... Mm -hmm exempts you from so a lot of the major, major risks. And why tractors? I mean, was that the obvious outlier? Was it that blatantly yeah. obvious when you started to look at this, this challenge? Or did you try other things? <laughs> What's within the journey to discover the specific solution? Well, we started with uh, tractors and mechanization more generally. Mm. We knew that this is what farmers wanted most. So just leading with listening to your customer, mm. turns out that makes a lot of sense. And the ancillary benefit that proved to be true was that because farmers want machines most beyond any other input, just because of the drudgery and just the difficulty and, and seeing your kid out there working every day, like instead mm. of going to school, that's a problem, right? As a parent, you know that. The extreme value in that asset also helped to organize that last mile and form demand clusters around a tractor. And if you, if you go to any agricultural community across our markets, when you see the tractor, you'll see farmers queuing up, right? I want next. I want the tractor next. I'm patiently waiting. And so you start to see these distribution channels form mm. where you can now introduce other products, right? Through partnership, because again, we don't work in production, but seed companies can now plug in and say, wow, Hello Tractor is organized 200 rice farmers in one specific location. They're all commercial. They're smallholder, but they're all commercial. They're small, but they're and living below the poverty line, 
but they're commercial. They invest in their field, and that's an important distinction. I would like to sell that group of rice farmers improved rice seed varieties so they can actually grow more, or I would like to sell fertilizer. And through that organized network, you can now transact at economies of scale. And it's the tractor that enabled that. And that was an insight that came maybe a bit later on, but it started with the tractor and that underlying hypothesis that pre-production, lower risk, high reward intervention. And the user journey of it, you know, so obviously at the product now you have its you know, two-sided platform and, and you have some IoT elements to the devices mm-hmm. and the tractors themselves. But talk me through the sort of the evolution of that. If I were a farmer right now, yeah, how would I reach your product? So yeah. how does it work? Fill me in. So we started with a direct-to-consumer model where mm-hmm. farmers could text because they have these feature phones. So we thought, well, we can reach them directly through short codes or SMS, right? And it turns out these transactions are far too important for a farmer to just casually whip out their cell phone and dial, you know, 311 for a tractor service, right? Like, it's not, that, was, that wasn't realistic. Um, the reality is the transaction is really based on trust. And that's not trust that we could have manufactured organically. So what we decided to do was recruit people in the community that already have relationships with large networks of farmers, put them on an aggressive commission plan where they can organize and book on behalf of farmers in their community, receive a commission for that. uh, And that then digitizes that demand. And they're not just, you know, pressing a few buttons. They're actually going out to the farmer's field, surveying the field, taking pictures, walking the plot boundary with the app to measure the exact size of the field because a lot of farmers don't know. Um, So you use GPS sort of tracking geolocation and geotagging to sort of actually they they walk the perimeter of the field so you know exactly sort of the landmass they'll be be using. Exactly, yep. So we use that. They all have low-cost smartphones, right? Mm. And that means one agent who understands that digital journey with one smartphone can cover hundreds of farmers, in some cases, thousands of farmers, right? Mm. So you get like one-to-many ratio. And once those demand clusters are digitized, then we can actually interact directly with the farmer because now we have a number associated with that digital footprint and all the basic information about the grower, uh, name, primary, secondary crop, of course, the location of the field and the size, when we expect them to need service. And that's where the journey begins, mm. right? When the tractors go out, the tractors have GPS. So we're tracking whether they're on schedule or not. Um, we're watching the tractors go into that digital plot boundary. And we're watching that sweeping motion go as the tractor goes back and forth, completing the job. That triggers the algorithm to notify the farmer. That real time. Near real time. Sometimes the tractors are in low connectivity areas, so the mm. data is stored locally, and then it uploads once it goes gets back onto the roadway, for example. Mm. But when there's connectivity, real time, when not, there's a delay. But you get full visibility across the entire workflow. Mm. And when the job is complete, we notify the tractor owner, hey, we think your tractor driver finished the job. Hey, farmer, we think the job is complete. If they notify us that the job is, in fact, done, that closes out the transaction and releases the payments and people go home happy, hopefully. Are are these tractors automated yet? Do we have any driverless tractors yet? Is that on the horizon? You joke, Matt. You you (laughs) joke, but we're we're testing auto steer and guidance this quarter. 
So that's the first step to full autonomy is when they go, when the tractor goes into the field, we have these low-cost guidance units that we fit onto the steering wheel. It's calibrated to the GPS. So the tractor can go directly into the rows and not, you know, drive over crops and spray double pass and, you know, waste fuel, all sorts of cool things that are unlocked with that basic technology. So we're getting there. We're not autonomous yet, but we at least will be introducing guidance and what they call auto steer in the ag industry. I love it. But it's, you know, from the outset, it seems like a relatively simple solution, but it has such an impact. Uh, yeah. And I'm just curious, though, how do you measure that impact and, and what is impact to you? Yeah, well, first of all, it's a lot of challenges here and we're still working through some of those challenges. But how we measure impact, we look at our farmers' income. We look at the time they save, you know, 55% of our farmers access machinery for the first time through us. And 93% of those farmers have a meaningful increase in their yield and income, right? So that's number one. But then number two, we track the satisfaction of the tractor owners because ultimately, while the core of our business and the foundation of our business is the farmer, none of this works if the tractor owners aren't satisfied with the work. So we track things like NPS, which is pretty common in, in the, the technology world. Net promoter score. Yeah, exactly. So how likely are you to recommend this product to someone else? And we're sitting at 82%, which for agriculture, in general, that's a high NPS. For agriculture, mm. that's incredibly high because in agriculture, <laughs> this is the toughest customer you can imagine. All right? I can imagine. Jahil sees vast opportunities in sub-Saharan Africa. If you pan out, you look at, like, why are we even doing this work? It's, it's a few mm. things that we're also really interested in. Number one, we believe that uh, there are pockets in Africa that if we close the yield gap, meaning growers are at, let's say, level three, if we can get them up mm. to level eight, we can actually establish the region as a global breadbasket, not just food secure countries, not just one smallholder farmer with a few extra bucks to send their kid to school. And, and that's fantastic. But, but truly convert food deficit countries to net exporters. And the value in that is our food system is not as resilient as we thought it was. And we do need more diversification in where we get our food. We get most of our food from the Midwest and the U.S. and the Canadian prairies, mm. Eastern China, Northern India, Ukraine, Russia. According to Jahil, Sub-Saharan Africa has the opportunity to fill the gaps in our global food supply chain and feed the world. When we saw the overlap in these shocks, we had supply chain disruptions because of COVID. Quickly after that, we had a climate change event that reduced yields in northern India. Like, that's an insane amount of disruption. And so our grain and calorie reserves have been depleted. And now policymakers are saying, wow, like, wait, actually, like, one of the most productive regions in the world with most land, most fertile soil, most water, definitely sun. <laughs> we need to light that market up. How do we do it? Mm. And, and you have to do it in a way where the value is equally distributed, not just so we eat more, but also for the farmers to benefit. And we measure our success ultimately and our ability to bring that global food system resilience through not just us, but also our partners that we can now bring in to this more organized market with these distribution mm. channels. And through those partnerships, create equitable income and, and rural growth in mm. these rural economies 
while helping to feed the world. So well said. And you touched on a really interesting point, which is the continent of Africa being the breadbasket to the world, right? Nigeria is the largest uncultivated landmass, right, on earth yeah, currently. Exactly. And there are more smallholder farmers in Nigeria than the majority of the other continents combined, you know. So governments and NGOs and all types of bodies and commercial entities now are realizing that based on the issues they've seen. Yep. So the climate aspect you touched on a little bit too. How do we light up Africa without adding to the climate issue? Well, I think it's about intensification, right? We have enough land under cultivation now to create these breadbasket outcomes, right? But you, so I'm not talking about cutting down forests and extending land under production. Just by intensifying, we can achieve these goals. And if we do the intensification in the right way, like we've been pioneering with some really strong partners over at UNFAO, UNEFAD, the World Food Program and Farm to Market Alliance and our private sector partners to introduce uh, regenerative agricultural practices through our platform. And so what is that? Minimal till, no-till operations, deep ripping. You're building climate resilience at the field level so the farmers can better adapt to these swings in extremely dry or too wet conditions, right? While simultaneously sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. There's a win-win for the farmer. They get to grow more on a risk-adjusted basis. They're growing more and they can better adapt to the volatility in the climate while sequestering carbon from the atmosphere. It's all about you saying intensifying, but I would change that word to making it more efficient. If we farm this square hectare or this square mile, a uh, square acre of, of land, and in Africa, it's actually some of the mm -hmm. least efficient and, and effective yeah. horticultural and farming processes and agricultural processes, right? Yep. And if we start to change out different types of farming practices and different types of, you know, plants and things like that, that we farm with that square acreage, yeah. we take out different types of nutrients, allowing other nutrients to replenish, allowing us to actually have more carbon yeah. capture into the plants. So yeah. we're actually, one of the biggest impacts we can make from a climate perspective is to increase agricultural practices in sub-Saharan Africa or around the continent, but make them more efficient. And yeah. a way to do that, I guess, is sort of what the premise of what Hello Tract is all about. Yeah. And promoting these regenerative agricultural practices. I mean, it's not about farmers making sacrifices for the sins of the world, mm. the industrial world, right? Mm. This is actually this weird opportunity where everybody wins. Mm. We need to sequester carbon. We need to bring nutrients back into the topsoil, right? Mm. We need a lower cost form of mechanizing and farming our land because mm. these are lower income communities with low levels of liquidity. So you can't overinvest like we do in the United States, for example. We've actually over-fertilized our soil and caused other issues like runoff. And so there's a variety of reasons why this should happen, but it does still take an ecosystem of partners to first educate the community of growers on these best practices and how it benefits them, right? Mm -hmm. They know what higher yields and, and lower input costs mean for their bottom line. And they, they know what, over time, healthier soils can do for the health of their household bottom line. And so we focus there, and we have partners who've done an amazing job of educating those growers. And then once that demand, which is the pull in the market, is created, 
we can come in and say, hey, by the way, we can make sure you actually get access to the right equipment to meet this new demand that's now come. So how many tractors and how many farmers have been using and, and are active on the platform today? Yeah, so we got uh, just over 3,000 tractors and combine harvesters, mm. 630,000 farmers growing on 1.7 million acres. Wow. So uh, quite an impact so far. Jahil, so what's next for Halo Tractor? Um, the next year, the next 10 years, are you going to 10x? Can you 10x? Uh, have you already solved the problem? We haven't solved the problem yet. I do believe we're on the right path. We launched a new tractor finance product at the beginning of the year to address the pent-up demand for services that we were seeing routinely every single season. These booking agents were really going after it, uh, booking farmers in their community, and there just wasn't enough equipment to meet that demand. And so we started financing new equipment so that these booking agents can now be equipment owners and not just middlemen or middlewomen. Mm. So first six months, we did about $5 million. We need billions of dollars of new equipment. And so that's a model that we're paying very close attention to because it's a huge unlock to create these channels for bigger players like tractor mm. manufacturers to say, this is a wide open market opportunity. Put that money to work in Africa, right? But they need to be able to manage risk and get the money back. Mm. And so we're proving out these new primitives with the hope that we can unlock more commercial investment in Sub-Saharan Africa, not just for Hello Tractor, but for the broader community of growers that need this commercial support. How would you encourage others who may be in a corporate, maybe yeah. looking to take that step to have an impact, right? Outside of their daily lives? Well, I mean, first of all, your, your time is what's most important. And so for these professionals who are interested in doing work that's meaningful, I genuine, I love my work. I don't even consider it work. If it weren't for my two daughters, I could work all day, every day. My wife will tell you, even on vacation, I pull out my laptop and just, I just can't stay away. <laughs> <laughs> Window into, into your life. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty sad actually. Um, but but I do I do enjoy the work and I, and I love the markets that we operate in. I love mm. living here. And I would encourage all entrepreneurs or people who are entrepreneurially minded to think outside of the corporate box and, and explore like what genuinely makes you happy. Mm. Is it working on serious problems that can, in a very meaningful way, move the needle on humanity and not in the weird Silicon Valley way where mm. every new dating app is going to revolutionize something, right? Mm. No. I mean, really bringing things like resilience to our food system, bringing economic opportunities to communities that have far too long been ignored and abandoned and doing it in a way that also scratches your intellectual itch because I think that's mm. also important. It's amazing. I couldn't be convinced to do anything else. And I think it's an opportunity now. And there's a movement of professionals who also see the world this way. Mm. And so I would invite you all to explore opportunity in more meaningful careers at Hello Tractor or the many other great companies and or organizations operating in these markets. Encouraging the next generation of farmers to come in with this innovative mindset using products such as yours. I think has that been sort of an offset, unexpected benefit that you've sort of seen an uptick in agricultural activation from a youth perspective? Again, I'm just theorizing here, but I yeah. would imagine that would be something that could happen. You sort of inspire the next generation because it's not hiring 15 people or having 15 kids to plow and mow the lawns. Yeah. It's using a digitalized product that they're more akin to, for example. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you remove the drudgery, mm. right? 
you bring in some pretty cool technology. I mean, if you look under the hood, it's technology that, you know, any firm based in Silicon Valley would get excited about. I'm a bit misleading, right? I'm apparently a baby boomer. Never going to let me let that go. We have young people (laughs) on our team who are much cooler than me and and much younger than me who also are a living and breathing example of what you're describing. Mm. People who are now interested in coming into agriculture because it's our approach to solving these problems is done with a bit more charisma, Mm. a bit more style. Just because it's agriculture doesn't mean it can't be cool, Mm. right? And so we we try and discipline ourselves to, to doing work that inspires us both from a design perspective, from an impact perspective, across the board. And I think that also is alluring to young people who mm. want to spend their time doing things that, that inspire them, mm. right? So we've come full circle here because, I mean, what you sort of got, you've gone from the finance into the farming and then you've created a financial product out of farming, really, right? You know, you've kind of created a, an instrument that allows yep. farmers to, to use products that they wouldn't have access to because of the hurdle to buy into and, and use and scale and grow and increase their yields. What's next? Mm-hmm. Are you hiring? How do we get involved? Um, well, definitely reach out if you're interested in, in joining the team and applying your talents to the work that we do. Mm. Also, spread the word. I mean, Hello Tractor is a community of people, both within and outside the company, that have aligned around a very important mission. And the more people I think that know about it, the more support comes in. And so spread the word about the work that we do. And if you're looking for a job, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm too old to be on the cool platform. (laughs) Uh, Jahil, thank you so much, mate. It's been a pleasure chatting to you, hearing about the incredible work you're doing. Thanks, Matt. Wish you the best of luck. Thanks for joining us and stay tuned for the next episode. Ciao for now. Thank you, sir. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Better Heroes. You can learn more about Hello Tractor at hellotractor.com. And you can learn more about EY Ripples and all of its impact entrepreneurs at ey.com slash eyripples. Links are in our show notes. Hey, before you go, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Better Heroes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also rate and leave our show a review to help others find out about the amazing work of our impact entrepreneurs. We'd like to thank our podcast producers, Human Group Media, who helped us bring this show to life. That's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. Better Heroes is a project of EY Ripples a global program to mobilize people across the EY network to help solve the world's most urgent social and environmental challenges. By extending EY's skills, knowledge, and experience to impact entrepreneurs on a not-for-profit basis and forging collaborations with like-minded organizations, EY Ripples is helping scale new technologies and business models that are purposefully driving progress towards the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals. The views of third parties set out in this podcast are not necessarily the views of the global EY organization or its member firms. Moreover, they should be seen in the context of the time that they were made. <laughs>